All right, welcome back from the bench. Uh, it's been a while since the four of us have been together and, and we're hoping that everyone's having a, a healthy and safe summer as we wind down and get towards the end of July. Um, so let's just go around and, and kind of update everybody on, on what you and your programs are doing. Um, Jesse, why don't you start? What's Point Loma up to? Well, it's good to be back and then have the whole crew back on, on, uh, on the bench today. Uh, we are sort of in a, in a holding pattern right now. Uh, we, we do know at this point we're going to be back on campus for school here next month. Uh, that is the plan unless, uh, unless local people decide otherwise, but that's uh, the current plan right now. Um, and, and then at that point, we hopefully will have an indicator of what our fall sports for our league is going to look like. Um, and, and then that will sort of di dictate a little bit what, what kind of our timing is. So, um, you know, I, we had a, a group conversation with our team, asked them very specifically and pointedly how they're feeling about all that. And, um, and they're very comfortable where everything's at and just, you know, they're ready to see each other and physically, kinesthetically, at least be in the same room with each other very, very much. So, um, I, I know that's important to them and, and hopefully we can do that in a safe way that, uh, that allows us to, to have a, a season where, where we can compete for a championship. And I think that's really where our mentality is at, regardless about number of games or when it is, uh, whether it's this group is pretty special, they're pretty connected and, and they want the chance to do that. So that's how, that's how things are looking here. And, uh, you know, we're just going to just kind of stay where our feet are with that and, and move forward when, when we know more and we can, we can kind of plan. So Gav, how about you guys in Salt Lake? Yeah, here in Utah, we got uh, this, Past week, we've just gotten the green light to start or resume workouts uh, with our players. We have about eight players uh, in Salt Lake City. Uh, so we've gone Monday, Tuesday, and we'll go again on Friday. Uh, but it's just it's a little different. Um, obviously, with the time off, uh, we're not going to get back to where we were when we left off in March, uh, and we're very aware of that. Uh, so our main objective is, one, take advantage of the opportunity to get everybody in the same room. You know, we try to, as much as possible, keep our distance. And in basketball, with our individual workouts, it is a little difficult. Normally, I'm a lot more hands-on, uh, demonstrating, maybe playing dummy defense. Um, you know, we've been told that that's more of a high-risk uh, activity. So try to limit that as much as possible. So coaches are all with face masks. We have one entrance in and out of the building. Uh, so our university, uh, our athletic department has gone to great lengths to try to assure as much as possible um, to control the controllables as much as they can. Uh, at the end of the day, who knows? Uh, it's kind of like may the, may the best immune system win out at the end of the day, but who knows? But it was good to be back, see them, uh, everybody kind of with a smile on their face. They're excited to be back. Uh, I'm just a little more cautious just with my family life at home. Uh, so, I, you know, even though we're back in the gym, it's not a time to let your guard down uh, or stay, you know, lax about things. It's kind of your awareness now needs to be at more of an all-time high. Like I'm walking around literally with hand sanitizer in my pocket and usually I have nothing in my pocket and uh, other than the practice plan. So um, it's, also you got to be very cautious uh, about returning so that's kind of what it is right now and we'll see how long it goes hopefully we can continue for the next three weeks uh before the fall semester starts so what about you tony 
you know, uh, a little bit different for me since I'm not working with a team, but I've been trying to keep tabs on what a lot of people, uh, a lot of other people are doing. Um, so, you know, so in that regard, B, tell me what's going on over at Pepperdine. Well, like Jesse, we're in California, right? And so uh, it's a little, it's a little slower, more, more uh, preventative and precautious on this end. I, I think if our county line was two, two miles south, and we're in Ventura County, maybe it'd be a little different. We'd be on the back on the court, but you know, we're, we're still waiting to see what, what the county is telling us. Um, our administration and leadership, both department-wide and then school-wide is, is obviously being cautious, but, but they're all prepping and preparing for uh, students to be back on campus next month. Uh, we're starting school a little earlier so that we're out a little earlier on the back end. Um, but we, we just been doing a lot of team, team Zooms and you know, we, we had a had a had a huge loss in terms of seven players leaving us at the end of last year. So our our main focus is just building up the synergy, building up the team camaraderie right now. And I think the the, the coolest thing uh, that we heard back after this week was, you know, two returners were talking and, and they're like, man, it, we haven't even been together and we feel so close. So, I mean, that's been our focus and there's nothing we can really do. I, you know, the West Coast Conference has decided to postpone fall sports until the 24th of September, which obviously then backs us up a little bit um, or will back us up a little bit. But, but right now it's just kind of a wait and see. And, and I, I see you that you're wearing, you know, the Connecticut stuff. So did you get uh, Kurt some, some, some trash with his dance moves the other, the other day? Yes, actually, uh, as you know, I'm a big fan of the Connecticut sun, mainly because of uh, Teresa Plaisance. One of my, my players is, is there. And so she hooks me up with gear. But yeah, I was giving Kurt Miller a hard time about his dance moves that were uh, posted up on, uh, on on Twitter and Instagram. And, um, you know, I just kind of got a touch base with him a little bit and just got a little info about how things are going. And, you know, strangely enough, it's, uh, he said, it, you know, it's, it's like a, a, a typical training camp in the sense that, you know, you're doing the same things, but just everything's faster. You know, you've got to get everything done quicker. Um, they, they're in a situation where they have a lot of new players. So, you know, he, he mentioned that he was using the dance moves to kind of blow off some steam from uh, too many turnovers in their, uh, in their workouts. But, you know, I also, you know, talked to Teresa. So you get a little feel about what's going on in, in the wobble. Um, you know, there's daily tests. I think they, you know, you might even have seen some pictures of people lined up against the wall because they've got to go into the, the little room to get tested every day. Um, but they're trying to be as careful as possible, monitoring, testing, um, there are, there is interaction between teams. Obviously people can talk to each other and I know lots of the uh, players and coaches that have families, they, they had the option, I believe, to bring their kids with them or, or at least they showed that they needed to bring their kids with them. Um, but I think, you know, it's the same with everybody it, it, you know, there's, there's strange pieces of it. You know, Tina Charles was able to opt out, um, because of her medical issues, um, and still get paid. Um, and Elena Deladon is on the opposite side of that. You know, she's, um, you know, she had some, she has a chronic Lyme disease and uh, the, the doctor's panel didn't allow her to opt out for that. So she's trying to still figure out exactly how she's going to move forward. So nothing, not everything's perfect. And, and I don't think anybody expected it to be. Um, but there are some things I think we can all learn from that process, you know, as far as, you know, limiting contact with outside entities uh, making sure that we're test, testing every day to make sure that everybody is staying safe. So my hope is that between the NBA and 
um, the PGA, the Major League Baseball, all of those um, and soccer leagues that are up and running. I think if the NCAA is not asking questions or trying to get information from all those leagues about how they're maintaining safety and what their standards are, um, I think it would be a rough situation for, for college athletics if you don't have as much information as possible to create the safest environment possible. So um, at any rate, that's kind of my point of view has been to more just kind of look around and see what people are doing and, and maybe find out if there's a strategy that might work so that, you know, everybody can play this fall and this winter and with the least amount of uh, worry about um, contraction and then whatever, you know, kind of illness comes after it. So we appreciate everybody being here from the bench and uh, we'll be back soon with our guests for the day. All right, welcome back. Uh, we are very excited um, to have our guest who, who played in the West Coast Conference, Southern California kid, um, who, who really, I mean, Jesse and I, we, we had to coach against her. And, uh, you know, I think uh, it, it, it was a career that you just showed development and whatnot. But Raina, thanks for joining us. Um, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and, and tell us a little bit of your story? Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, so I'm Raina and I'm from Carson, California. I grew up playing in the South Bay area, went to Bishop Montgomery in Torrance for high school and then um, played for the University of San Francisco for four years. Um, and after I graduated in 2012, um, I played a little bit for the American Samoa national basketball team in 2015. So um, since then, my basketball career hasn't really I didn't go overseas or anything. I play in the Women's Drew League currently. Um, but, you know, basketball has been a huge part of my life since I was seven years old. Grew up in the parks and then played uh, in the West Coast Conference, which was really, really, it's a tough conference. Um, so, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Well, it's awesome that you're on the show. And as b mentioned, yeah, I, I definitely remember uh, our scouts at St. Mary's and, and you were either one or two on that scout. And so that was always uh, that's generally the one that you got to worry about and the one that's probably going to kick your butt. So um, I, I'm sure that's what happened uh, is, is during your four years that, that we were playing against each other. Go back a little bit for us to to say that, you know, the playgrounds, the, the parks, the high school days and and, you know, who or what was sort of that said, hey, I want to play college basketball, you know, and, and, and go into that a little bit. And what was that moment? Where was that? Where does that story begin for you? Yeah. Um, so, so I am the oldest of five. Um, my dad it played football at uh, University of Oregon. And um, I honestly think that he wanted a boy when I came, when I was around. So um, I kind of grew up as a tomboy. I would follow him everywhere. Like when he was playing these leagues, like I just wanted to be around sports. Um, tried softball for a little bit. Wasn't my thing. I got hit with the pop fly and never played again. Um, but basketball, there's something about like the, just the competitiveness that like the adrenaline rush. And I was horrible when I first started playing, I played in the Carson Park and Rec leagues. Um, very competitive. My dad was my first coach and I just remember like being horrible. Like I just could not make a basket. I couldn't dribble the ball. Um, and that pissed me off at like seven or eight years old. And I just, and like kind of looking back at it, I'm like, I was that competitive as like a kid. 
And so um, I just wanted to, I was so, so ready to get better for the next season and the next season after that. So that's what kind of started my basketball career. Um, and then when I wanted to play college, I would say, you know, kind of growing up when I went from Cars of the Parks to another level to play AAU, um, that's really when it, the turning point, um, I was playing in, in different club teams, but then, you know, my dad had to sit down with me and, and we had to play in a better team to get more, you know, scouts to come to our games. Now, back in the day, social media was nothing, you know, you, you couldn't get recruited off of a highlight video on your Instagram or YouTube. Um, really like my recruiting process was, I mean, it was, it wasn't the best. I mean, I think that I was, um, it was very challenging. I think that, um, you know, I didn't, I felt like I was, I was the best one on the team. I was working hard, you oh, but I was, I was one of those like weird positions where I was too slow to be a point guard, but then I was also too short to be two guard. Um, and so just, it was, um, when I wanted to play, I was like, you know, my dream school is UCLA. Um, I just learned that, you know, if anything, you just got to keep going, keep playing, keep working hard. Um, and by the grace of God, I actually were recruited by, um, a t like a DVD. Like that's, that's how, that's how crazy it is these days. It's like, you watch your, you can go on Instagram live and you can watch my game. Well, we had to send in our DVDs. Okay. Like we had to like, and, and you couldn't clip out the, the turnovers and the missed free throws <laughs> and the missed box outs. No, you had to send them the whole game. And then hopefully like, they'll just, you know, like cut you some slack. The coach will cut you some slack there, but um, that was how I got in front of San Francisco. And then they took a shot at me, came watch me play. Um, so I'm very, very thankful for that program, specifically Tanya Javi and, Sh and Chanel Stars. They gave me a, my, my, my only D1 offer, which was, um, you know, a blessing, so. That's awesome. A lot of uh, people now, I love hearing the fact that when you're seven years old, that competitive drive um, that just kicked in. Um, but elaborate a little bit more as much as you can remember like what did you do specifically how did you go about doing that because a lot of i think younger generations i mean my kids eight years old right now like if she misses one shot she tries to make 10 in a row then she'll quit and the quitting part drives us crazy so that's the one time you'll see the anger just pipe when you can't say that word you cannot do it get your butt back here. And um, so speak a little bit about that. Like what did your summers look like? Like now there's a tournament every weekend from May all the way through the end of July. Um, and as we all remember recruiting, it wasn't that much before. Um, mm -hmm. And teams, you know, or players, athletes could play different sports and do different things. Um, but what was like your, you know, your teenage years, I guess, what was that like while you're working on your craft just being competitive and then as well trying to play and uh, in many tournaments as you possibly could. Yeah. So I, um, I would say I, like I'm really close to my dad growing up and he, you know, he was, he still had that athlete mentality, which was, you know, it kind of um, was passed on to me. And so, you know, when in my games, I just, I vaguely remember like just how bad I was and, I hate being bad at things. And I, I'm usually like, yeah, I guess in school, you know, I, I got good grades, straight A's, never got in trouble. And then I find like with basketball, I'm like, I'm horrible. I don't like this feeling. I don't, I don't, I want to get better. And, 
you know, I'd ask my dad, like, dad, I want to be like her, like my cousin, Renee Young. So Renee actually, um, so her and I really close. We've been to actually, our parents went to Oregon together and played football, but Renee is a year older than me. And Renee's athletic, like there's nothing, there's, she's crazy athletic and she's always been good. And I was the chubby fat, chubby kid that couldn't really like do anything. So I, whenever I would see play against Renee, she would kill me. And so I'm like, I want to be like Renee. I want to be like, I want to be fast like that. And I want to like make my shots. And, you know, my dad is just like, you're never going to be that athletic. You can't really jump really high, but I mean, you can work hard, you can make your shots. And so that's kind of like what I've developed at a young age is like, I knew I wasn't the fastest. I knew I wasn't going to be the quickest. And I knew I probably wouldn't be like the, the best defender because I'm just like faster than that person. But I knew I can outsmart them. And I knew that I can, if I practice my shot, I can shoot better than them. So I just played for my strengths. I've worked on my ball handling. My dad had me dribble to school with my left hand um, because we can walk to school in elementary school. We had, I had to dribble with my left hand only. I remember the tennis balls, like he made me dribble with my tennis balls. Um, playing with the boys too. Um, my dad actually, we were talking about this the other day. He, when he would go and play like open run with like the guys, like he said, he, he would have to play in order for me to play. And so like, I was the only girl and um, you know, my dad was just saying like, I, my, I was so dead by the time we're finished, but I wanted you to play Raina. And you know, I would just rebound and play and throw you the ball and you can do what your thing. Um, so my dad will pull, he was really, 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 um, he was a, a huge part of that. Um, and just him telling me, like being hard on me after every single game, I never got a good report. <laughs> There's always something that I needed to work on. So, um, so yeah, I just like craved getting better. I just loved seeing myself like improve. And then when I got to the, like the levels, like the next season playing against like Renee or the Officias, um, another um, family, or my cousins, and they were so much better than me, but now I was like hanging with them a little bit. And that made me feel good that I wanted to do more and more and more. So you, so you bring up Renee Young and, and there's two things that happen when I hear her name at the same time. One, it's the worry and the stress that she gave me because I was responsible of her going to class, getting to class, and <laughs> everything, Renee, it's like, oh my God, like I should have her degree on my wall in the sense of just, you know, <laughs> getting her to class. But, but the, the, the next thing that happens is that laugh that she has, right? And just that smile and the joy that she just brought in the sense yeah. of, you know, I was lucky to be able to coach her and just to watch her development um, you know, is, is awesome. And, and I knew you guys were related and all that, but so, so before college, right? Like before we get into that, you know, Renee was obviously getting recruited and, and, you know, and you talked about, you know, once you started hanging with that group, when, when she went off, I know that's when your name in the South Bay kind of blew up a little bit, right? Like it, it became your time. So what was it that connected this, this joy and this passion of getting better and wanting to hang with your cousins to, hey, I, I want that experience that my dad had. I want that experience. I want to kind of lead my family to, you know, that because you guys are an athletic family. And so what, what was your drive like during that recruiting process from your junior to senior year? And then ultimately, you know, that final season before college? Yeah, I was, I'd say my drive came from me being overlooked. 
I was like just being that, you know, I, I wasn't as quick as the guards. I wasn't as like tall. Um, you know, it just, I was always, and I think I, I'm, I, I would say that it was a kind of a common trend that a lot of the quicker guards were the, the, the big, the ones that colleges wanted. They wanted the ones who can like, they're, they're so, they have a quick first step, you know, they can't, they're, they're run super fast, all that. And I just couldn't have, it just wasn't in my, <laughs> it's not in my, in my, um, in my, my body to be athletic. Um, so I think that that's really what inspired me to just like me being overlooked and just like, you know, I don't, I wasn't really, even my body wasn't physically fit. I wasn't cut. Right. Like I just was pretty flat and, um, you know, that kind of, it, it was, it was difficult being just like, you know, being one of the top scores and like, you know, just killing teams that, you know, should have been, should have beat us like at Bishop. Um, and yet still getting overlooked and the next person's getting a scholarship and the next person's getting a scholarship. Um, so that really, you know, was hard for me, but I do think that being, having um, a foundation, my, I, uh, and my faith in God really kept me level-headed too, um, because I've always just under, I, I would say like, why, what, what's going on? Why am I not good enough? How come I can't get a scholarship like she did? And I, I'm better than her. I did this and that. But it was just always like my parents just kind of, um, you know, just praying for me, praying for myself and having that faith that it's going to happen. And I truly believe my scholarship to University of San Francisco was God because I've sent in my tape. They have never even, they didn't come, they may have heard of me throughout the other coaches, but they didn't like really see me until like the, the, the tape or the DVD, I guess. Um, and then they came to my practice, coach stars came to my practice and watch how I practice. And so I was like, you know, at that point I was really like inspired that that happened. And like I mentioned, that was my only D one offer and I com could compete if not, you know, with the girls that have been getting these scholarships to UCLA, USC, like the big time schools, like I was up in that level with them. Um, but I would say like, that was what, what kept me going. Yeah, you, you say those things like the, the, you know, you were in that level and all that. And I remember watching you, um, you know, obviously I, you know, I, I went to, I got my master's degree at USF and coached there. And, um, you know, and I think at the time you were coming through, we, you know, I was at Northern Arizona and then we had gotten the job at UCLA. So, you know, I had a chance to see you play. And I remember, you know, notes, you know, competitive, uh, tough, plays hard all the time. You know, those were all the, the notes and everything. So looking at it from that point of view, your value, and we talk about this a lot with kids now, is like your value doesn't always have to be that you score, you know, 70 points a game. You know, your value doesn't have to be that you do, you know, you get 25 rebounds a game or whatever it is. Your value can be huge to a team without being that, you know, that alpha that's out there getting, you know, 30 points and five rebounds and seven, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. And, and teams don't function well without good team, hard, competitive, tough players. So credit to you there. So talk about your years at, uh, at USF. Like what were some of the things that you enjoyed and some of the things that maybe you didn't like so much about, about your time in school? Mm -hmm. um, at USF, um, I would say kind of getting there, I was the last freshman assigned, so it was five of us. And I was already treated like when I got in, I, 
I was never going to play. Yeah, like, I, I kind of got that sense and I'm like, all right, I, I really need to prove myself and, and, and just kind of work harder than everybody here. So that was tough kind of coming in. Um, the, also the level too, I, I feel like there's a lot of um, high school athletes these days that understand that the different level of play, the, the fast pace, um, and I mean, depending on their coaches in high school, you know, they, their coaches said the right thing to get you there. But when you're on the team and when you signed, they're not going to say the same things that they told your parents to get you there. They, they, it, you're, you're one of everybody else. So, um, and I think that that's like, a, like, we have to understand that as, as young athletes is like, they're trying to recruit you. They're going to be very nice and everything, but they mean business at the end of the day. Of course they, they care for you, but you know, you can't expect to have that, oh, she came to my house and wanted me to come to USF. She came to a lot of people's homes, you know? So um, I, I think I liked, I love the city. The city was amazing. I, I, I just wanted to be close. I kind of wanted to be close to my family, but not too close where my dad can come into my dorm or just pop up on me. So um, that was that was cool. The Bay, just the Bay in itself is just a really good culture out there. Um, the school is beautiful. Um, you know, I really loved my coaching staff there too. My teammates, like to this day, I'm close to a few of them. Um, so it was, it was definitely definitely a great experience like playing there what I didn't like um is I I didn't like how terrible we were I think in the four years that we played we were we didn't we I think we were seventh or eighth um in the like last in the conference um I think that that was just very hard for me because I felt that you know I worked my butt off every single day every game um and I think that, you know, that was really tough for me to just keep losing. I hate losing. So hated that part. Um, and then I would say what I didn't like that I know now that I wish I knew back then is the being prepared for life after sports, which was what I'm a big advocate for now. Um, I was a gym rat. I, you know, any time I wanted to be in the gym, cool. But I feel like, you know, at 18, 19 years old, I don't know what's going on. Like, I don't, I'm not thinking about a job. I'm thinking about playing basketball and that's all I want to do. I'm, I want to keep playing until I can't anymore. And I feel like, you know, if I would have had that, I, I would select classes based on my basketball schedule or based on like what's easy, you know? And of course, if in my mindset at like 20 years old, I'm like, I don't want to wake up at 6am to go to like, I don't want a morning class. Like I don't want a Friday class, but it's it. But I, I was thinking about basketball versus that's the time where I'm like, okay, well, what's a plan B? What, what, in case basketball doesn't work out, not saying it does, it's, it is, but what can you do for your career? And I think that's the part that I wish that I would have, um, you know, kind of been given that you know, just been told, had those conversations. Um, but I think it's just because like I was the best player on the team and I, you know, I was in these classes for a reason and my major was just communications, but, you know, I feel like I, if it would have been a little bit more disciplined or at least kind of like been, had that talk of like, okay, Raina, here's what you should do next, or here's what you should prepare for. I think that would be something that I would say could have been better. 
good to hear I'm, that, that that you do have some because that's the way it goes sometimes right you have some positive you have some negative and one thing i will say this is that you know i watched you play and all that and then you know being an alum i would be checking in on at usf and i'd be checking in and say okay how the team do today how Raina play like you know we you know, so during your four years, you probably didn't know, but I was checking in just to see uh, how you guys were doing and how you were doing specifically. So um, thank you for all your effort that you put into the school. Cause you know, as an alum, you got, you know, you have a little special place for it. So um, it was good to see how hard you were working out there. Except for when it was against Brian or I, we didn't want you to do well. So, uh, you know, just, just knowing, uh, you know, and I, and I, I love, that you talk about the hilltop that way. I spent two seasons there coaching there. That's where Tony and I go back to. So, um, and, and so you're right. And, and it's a, such a great, great place to, to be a part of. So I'm glad you're there. You, you brought up a couple things that we've talked about before. Uh, we had Dr. Julie Shaw on a former division one head coach, and she brought up that very topic, which is a passion of hers is that sort of life after basketball. And I, I love that you sort of revisited that, um, at that point, because it's a, it's a challenge. Uh, the, the audience that we're, we're, we're focused on, there's coaches and, and we talk about mentorship. And I think we do maybe a good job uh, of during that time that we're coaching you and we're helping you navigate maybe those four or five years that you're in college. But I, I hear you calling and I hear you sort of calling the profession out a little bit like, hey, I could have used a nudge to, hey, Raina, let's uh, maybe maybe take that class on that Friday as opposed to chilling out and being in the gym all day would have would have been useful. So I really appreciate you sort of uh, ticking that box again, because when Dr. Shaw was on, she brought it up. And, and I think it's really important that we hear that perspective and, and share and, and, and challenges. I know it's challenging me, you know, it's over the years, uh, you know, now I'm, I'm at a division two school. So it's, it's a bit, a di the balance is a bit different. The focus is a bit different, but, uh, but still at the end of the day, those conversations with our players and, and talking about that and, and making sure that, you know, while we're here, we're focused on what we need to do, but we also need to start having those conversations. So at least we're, we're planting seeds. So um, I really appreciate you saying that. Talk about, you, you brought it, you mentioned it sort of in the fly. You talked about your self-awareness during that recruiting process. You knew what your strengths were and you were sort of going to go, I'm going with these. This is what I'm good at. And I'm gonna make sure I'm elite at this and not worry about the deficiencies that I have no control over. You know, you, you brought up some of those and, and that's probably what ended up standing out. And was that drive, you know, looking back at your stuff before we got on, you know, you come in as a freshman without with one D one offer and you end up starting, I think all but one or two games that year, you know, and that's, that's a credit to that self-awareness. And I think that's something as coaches that we can draw out of our players in a, in a, in a better fashion. Talk about how that now, because you, you, you mentioned, hey, I don't, didn't have that prep for after playing. Um, how are that, is that tool, that self-awareness maybe impacting the things that are important to you now in, in yeah. what you're doing now? Yeah, um, I, I, th I think that, so when I went through, when I graduated college and I, I slowly but surely dropped, like put the, the game behind me, um, I felt as if like I went through a, a like a, a kind of like an identity crisis, like who am I without basketball, right? And um, I wasn't quite ready to give it up. Um, I, my first job after college was I was the director of basketball operations at Cal State Northridge under uh, Jason Flowers. And he was a great, great mentor, great coach. But because I was itching to play still, I was like, I can't just be in the office all day and you know, just be here. And I'm like, I need to find something else that I'm interested in. So I tried broadcasting and that was fun. I got to get to know people, work on my communication skills. 
Then I tried, um, and I was just, and then I tried, you know, sales and then I tried the hospitality industry and then I was a receptionist. So I literally went through, I tried literally any job that I could to figure out who, what I liked, what I'm passionate about. And I felt like during that transition, I'm, I'm playing a new game. You know, this is a new game. Like I'm not playing basketball anymore. So I don't, and a lot of times when I'm going in for these interviews, I'm like, I don't have the I don't have the, the experience that you guys are looking for. You know? So I knew that after being rejected so many times. And so that's when I was just like, you know what, play to your strengths again. What do you have that other people don't have? I'm coachable. You know, I've played basketball since I was seven years old under a coach. I'm, listen, very, I'm very disciplined. You know, I came from not being recruited to like starting for a D1 team. Um, I work hard. You can't teach anybody to work harder than me. Um, and, you know, communication, like I can speak up and my communication skills of, you know, even from talking to my coaches about our, our team issues, I was the captain. So I needed to, to, to learn how to talk to my coaches, but at the same time, when I'm, you know, on the court as a point guard, you have to communicate to your teammates. One of your teammates might not be very receptive to you yelling at them. She would actually appreciate you pulling her aside, like, hey, Katie, um, make sure you just like, when you set that screen, make sure just wider a little bit so I can come off and I can hit you. That's how I can talk to Katie, but on Brom, I can yell at her and say, Brom, get it together. You're at, you're playing so soft right now. Who are you? Because I know my, my, my teammates. So I just used those skills that I've learned as an athlete, you know, like I, you can't work, you can't teach that. And I think that with a few of the employers, I remember when, like just getting a job, I worked for a marketing agency. I've done social media for all, um, I would say, I want to say four or five years I did social media marketing. I had no marketing experience. <laughs> I did not know how to do a Facebook business post or anything, but I, I sold myself as being an athlete. I don't know. I told her, I was like, I don't have this experience, but you, I guarantee you're probably not going to have anybody that can work harder than me. Um, and I bought some books to learn. I would watch some webinars. So I taught myself how to do social media marketing. And then that's what I think that, that that's what I learned from like being an athlete to where I'm at now. I'm like, I'm using what I know. And I think that's what a lot of athletes are missing right now. Right. They don't, they don't know their worth without this game. And that's where I want to like have these conversations. And that's my passion project as well Is like, I'm working on something that can really inspire these former athletes that um, think that they don't, they're not worth anything right now without hooping or, or, or playing football or something. Cause you know, it's difficult. I didn't have social, social media is also playing a lot into it, but that I can go on about that. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, when we circle back around, you can, you can dive into that. We, you know, like, <laughs> we, we, this is good. You're dropping so much good stuff and good perspective. And, and thank you so, so much for that. I think that's, that's really what, what we're about. And, and as Brian said, your, your story is, is dropping so much knowledge. So thank you so much. And, and that perspective of you answered that perfectly. Thanks. Gavin, go ahead. Yeah. Um, why wait? I'd love to dive into that social media piece. Uh, let's play the time machine game. Let's uh, make you a student athlete right now. And now with people utilizing social media, being able to cash in or get compensated for the usage of name, image, and likeness. Um, what would you have done uh, as a student athlete, maybe to market yourself, brand yourself, uh, kind of get your, your name out there, not necessarily to cash in now, but it could be utilized 
you know, as a stepping stone to, again, beyond basketball or once uh, you start dribbling the ball? What would you have done? Well, I think that now, um, number one, I wish athletes were still could get paid for their likeness. Like, I've, I've never agreed for that. Like, it's these we bring in so much money for every program it's you know it's kind of ridiculous that we need to go to our compliance director to see if you know we can do this job or internship or whatever it is and so that's that's the case that i think the ncaa needs to get us together now for me i would say you know with so there's a difference between social media right now. A lot of times I see athletes just posting things for like likes and for like the popularity and the followers, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that because it is, it makes you feel good if you have a good picture with the like, a lot of likes and you build your followers. I'm not going to lie. It does. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, the thing about it is like we, as athletes, because we're so uh, like emotional and we're, we're really like with, with who we are, we're very competitive. It's like, me kind of take, I would have taken a social media break, honestly, if I was an athlete right now, because you get sucked into comparing yourself to different athletes, their followers, their likes, their posts, who they're, you know, who, who they know, who knows them, um, what pages are posting them. Um, they get sucked into the highlight tapes, the highlight reels, like, you know, who they're hanging out with. And I think that kind of takes away from the real reason why you're playing. And so who knows, like sometimes, you know, if you're posting some great highlight tape, you might not be all that on the court. And it's like, and that's really where it matters. And I would hope that it's not just like, okay, take a picture of me working out or taking or doing a basketball workout and that's it. No, the real work comes behind the scenes when nobody's looking. So that's why I'm saying like with social media, Back then, you know, I mentioned in high school, there was no, I think if we had MySpace, probably SoCal Hoops was the Twitter, I think, <laughs> and it was equivalent to Twitter. And then the boys basketball team, they had like rankings and stuff. We had um, the Rise magazine that you wanted to be in. Um, but it's also just like those, but our generation, we grew up with like not having to post any of that. We needed to prove it. So we were in the gym working out. We needed to, you know, we played different games like word of mouth was big. And, you know, nowadays it's like, okay, I was on, I, she has a good, she has a good following. She might be good, you know? And it's like, I think we, we get caught up in just like the, the facade of being that person, being that like basketball player. Um, because if you're constantly looking to do that, to prove who you are, I guess on social media, it's just, you're, you're really, it's really going to mess with you mentally down the line. So I think if I was in like playing college basketball right now, I would definitely like, not gonna lie, I would post my pictures, but I would still be in the gym and know that like, I need to get better and better and better. And then, um, you know, hopefully by then, like, I just, I would definitely take a break too. Cause it's, it just gets to you a lot. So. So I'm, I'm going to flip the script. You are that social marketing expert, right? And we are a bunch of coaches. So in today's age where social media is such a driver and, and such a platform for brand, what should basketball programs and or coaches do to um, maybe attract, right, athletes? But at the same time, to your point, 
still be there in the sense of having to prove it and, and, and not just being that program with the cool graphics that you're putting out, but like, like what should we be doing as coaches? What should we be doing as, as, as a program to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak? Yeah, um, I, I do feel like understanding your target audience is very, very important. Um, kids these days are, are very like, they're driven to the graphics or like the cool videos. Like I think video, video content is the best form of content. So if you have a really, really cool video uh, featuring, I don't know, like a, like a, your, one of your practice or something that just, it's really, it's edited in a way that just like will capture somebody's attention, obviously like not being super long, but graphics and video content will be the best. But I think that like what really, what social media should be, what any brand company, it could be a coach, it could be a school, it could be a company, any brand essentially is storytelling. Storytelling is what we should focus on really on social media. And I think that like that, you know, that really will capture somebody's attention because you never know who can actually resonate so with. So for example, you might share a story of one of your players that might touch another player's mom or that they can relate to, you know, finding those like unique stories of your, of your team, of your coaching staff, or even like the selling like the city or, or your program overall. Um, I think we miss that. Um, that's, it's, I think that we're staying away from just like posting pictures and, you know, a cool Drake quote as the caption, um, instead of just having like a long story of, you know, how you feel. Um, I'll give you an example for, for my social media. Like I, I do post captions here and they're just short and sweet, but if I want to get really deep into like a story, um, I will talk about that in my caption. And I got a lot more feedback to those versus just like, like, oh, thank you for this post or thank you for um, sharing your story versus, and, and, and that's what makes me feel better about myself. My post was essentially like for me dressing up as like me on the basketball court, then me in my, like my blazer and my hair back, like on a business meeting. And then, you know, me going out to the club with my friends wearing makeup and my hair is all done. And, and I was speaking on like, who you, who I am is I'm Raina, the, the, the hooper, but I'm also Raina, the businesswoman, and I can also have fun. I'm okay with being all three people. I'm true to who I am and social media can take you away from, from that. Um, and so I think just like encouraging your players to just be themselves, sharing those stories, uh, graphics here and there. Yes. Um, but also just kind of like being consistent with, with your content as well. You, the worst thing you can do is just go ghost on your social media and not post anything. So is there, is there a frequency? As far as like how, it depends because there's, um, with Instagram specifically, there's analytics that you can kind of look at to see when your top performing posts would be. I think um, posting too much is, is kind of overkill. Um, one thing about Instagram is that their algorithm changes a lot. So you'll notice that you'll see posts from like five days ago and then a post from an hour ago and then a post from like three hours ago or, or yesterday. And it's because it's, it depends on um, how you, the accounts that you've interacted with, but Instagram changes that all the time. So I would say frequency, like if you're seven days out of the week, I would maybe post four, um, four times, five times max maybe, but it really depends on the content. It's more so like the quality content over the quantity. Got it. 
So now understanding that we're trying to help you tell your story today through this medium. Um, so I guess what we're, we're going through the stories, you've kind of given us the background of when you were a kid, then to college, and then you meandered kind of through some jobs before you figured out what it is we really want to do. So now take us to now, like what is, what is your daily, weekly, monthly routine look like now? Like where did all of that information, knowledge, coaching, trying different things, where did it get you to, to today? Yeah. So today, well, before the pandemic, <laughs> um, I, so I work for a, um, I work for a software company, um, which is a completely different field than I'm used to. Um, I've said marketing has just kind of been my, my go-to, but I was ready for a challenge. Um, on top of that, I have uh, started my own uh, brand called Locked In. And it's 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 geared, it's centered towards um, helping former athletes find themselves after like life after sports, um, and so what I I do really is just I I'm working you know I have my job I'm doing what I need to do but this is my passion project and this is something that I've been trying to build over time, um, building like my social media network and you know blogging writing stories for that. Um, you know, I really find passion in that. So that's what I'm doing like work-wise, but I'm doing a lot of, of self, like uh, just realizing a lot about myself in the pandemic. So I think that like right now, because I live alone, right? And um, I, there's a lot of me time, right? So it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing a lot of emotions that I didn't have before when I was around people. Like I, I just saw my family on Sunday. I hadn't seen them for a few weeks. So and that and my family is very close to me, but I'm I'm understanding different things about myself that I'm trying to kind of portray and like help with other athletes. And the the biggest thing that I've learned in this pandemic so far is being open with my emotions, being able to express them. I think as an athlete, we are trained to shut on and off our our, our emotions. Like you know, I remember getting on the court senior year of basketball, like at USF, like if I have boy drama or whatever, I'm like, it bothers me. Right. And so it's my, my coaches or my teammates, like, Ray, we, we, we playing, we're playing St. Mary's. This is a big game. Like get it together. Like, like, come on, lock in. Like, what are you doing? So immediately I get on the court. It's like, nothing else matters. I'm here to, to play against this team. But then when I'm done, I go back to like, okay, I was dealing with that. So we're, we're trained at a very, very young age to shut, turn off, emotions off, emotions on. So then that, that's why we struggle now. It's like, I can't go on, I don't have a game to play. I don't, can't play in a basketball, like go shoot around to express my emotions. Like I have to feel the emotion and figure out what it's trying to teach me. And so I think that's what really, um, what I've been learning about myself and how, talking about this with other athletes is just being able to understand like, Hey, it's, it's okay. Expressing your emotions. Vulnerability is not a sign of weakness. You know, like that, that's, that's one thing. Like, even if I would cry or if I feel some type of way in the court, I would get so mad at myself. I'm like, why are you crying? Like, like get, get what, who are you? Stop being a little girl. Like, like, come on, Raina play. But then again, I'm just like, no, that's, that's, that's totally valid as an adult now. Like, you know, you feel a way you're, you're entitled to feeling that way and you have to figure out, you have to handle it versus hiding it and keeping it inside and talking down on yourself. And then that's going to affect you over time. So, um, I would say like, that's, that's something that I've been, I've been working on myself, journaling a lot more, um, you know, reading a lot more, 
take getting off my phone if needed and also just kind of stepping away from people that might have been bringing you down as well so I think like you know work wise that's what I've been doing like I have my I have my job I have my passion project I'm building I have all this time to do but also with the time I need to figure out myself and I need to make sure that I'm healthy on the inside as well so that's that's kind of what I've been doing um throughout this pandemic how helpful would it have been for you? And I, I don't know if you you've talked about this not or not, or said this, but to have, let's say, um, those feelings that you're feeling to have a coach you could go to and say, you know, not that, that they would necessarily agree with you, but at least be able to express it to you, you know, or express it to whoever they may be and that they were able to kind of talk to you about it and, and just let you know that they understand it. How much helpful, more helpful would that have been for you? I think that would have been very helpful, but I, th- I don't know if it would have been appropriate for it to be from a coach. I think it would have been better for it to be from a therapist. Sure. Um, I think that I, I don't know how it is in the college level now, but I truly think that having a therapist for your, your college athletes or your, or your um, people on your team, I think that's very helpful. Number one is because I'm not going to openly tell my coach some things, you know, like I'm a, I might have to run for what I'm telling you. So I'm going to, I'm going to watch out with what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> so I might not, I might not tell even my directive basketball operations. Like I won't feel comfortable because at the same time, she's still on the coaching staff. And I don't, I don't know if that's going to go back to you, uh, to the coaches. So, um, I would say that would have been so, that would definitely be helpful, but I would say like maybe investing in the college programs, investing into a therapist where it can have, they can have one person um, talk to because, you know, I don't know everybody else's, you know, living, but I don't know how they grew up. Um, you know, some people might be dealing with things that they don't understand or they don't know about. Um, and then a lot of times athletes are coming to a program and the coaches are there, like they follow the coaches, whatever the coaches, like they need something, someone to tell them what to do. And I think that's what messes them up in the long run is because you're told what to do. You're told what classes to take. You're told, you know, where you have to be for some sort of meeting off campus. You're told like, we're going to, you have your itinerary on game day or the game the, on a travel, like you're told what to do. So when you don't have those people in your life anymore, what, what do you do now when you're trying to figure out your life that you have finding a job? So I think having that a therap- therapist to talk to somebody and like to like the kids, at least to just get them to open up and talk to, in a safe space where their, their feelings won't, or their, what they're saying will not go to, you know, the coaching staff. Cause I definitely would have, I wouldn't have been completely open with my coaches. I definitely have been like said something, but not the whole truth, just in case I would get in trouble for it. But yeah. Peeling back the layers here. Thank you so much. I mean, such, such, and, I, and we've talked about that, uh, you know, on earlier episodes of that important conversations and, uh, you know, having those uh, with a resource outside of the staff. And, and I think we're moving in that direction in athletics. I don't know that everybody's there yet, but during the, your, your time, and I think we all, as those of us that have been doing this a while, are realizing that and, and how important that is. As we kind of wrap up here, last question, um, you know, we've, we've had, so many intent, you know, you talked about your life, you know, COVID sort of being at home and all that and and how that's kind of hit you personally. Maybe just touch on sort of your perspective on the things that are going on outside, you know, some of the social justice conversations, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, how the pandemic or just kind of whatever, you know, you talked about how it sort of affected you, but maybe 
how has that changed your philosophies on some things or enlightened you a little bit and and you know to sort of to sort of just kind of touch on that as we wrap up yeah um i think the one one especially you know with with everything that's going off on with black lives i think one, I'm not a part of the Black community. I'm Samoana Mexican. And I think that what I've learned with everything that's going on, including like the pandemic and, and um, hearing stories from all over the world, um, is to understand and seek information to learn first before you speak. Because I think a lot of times when you're not directly involved with the community that isn't being effective at the, affected at the moment, you can't say certain things. And especially like, I understand where you're coming from because we won't, you know, as, as, as a non-black athlete or non-black woman, I will never understand what it is to be a black woman in the, in the world right now. But what I can do in my part is inform myself, check people in my community who might have been, who might be saying the wrong things or doing the wrong things, um, play my part. Um, and even just kind of be uh, just just having those conversations with with those who are directly affected, being very um, just open to that. Um, I think that I I'm very outspoken. I'm, I'm outgoing type of person. But if it's something that I'm not really informed about, um, I've learned to just kind of take a step back, do some research, have conversations, and then and then have that conversation when it's and it's needed. So um, I would encourage, you know, anyone who is going through something that's, they're, they're not a part of like the black community um, and with, with everything that's going on is to just to really seek to understand by informing, researching and doing your part by doing that first and then have that conversation. Yeah, that's so great. So, so important and, and probably you know, you've gotten to that place and you, the things you touched on is playing to your strengths. And those are all things that you did, you know, Hey, I want to be a division one basketball player. What, what do I need to do to get there? Find out. And, and you've sort of led that along your, your going into your career, going into this topic here, you've done all those kind of things. Raina, thank you so much. Um, we want to give you a chance. What, you know, is locked in? Is it, is it a brand that's on social media? Where can we find you on that? We want to yeah. make sure we are promoting that and that project because, uh, you know, like I mentioned, Dr. Shaw brought that topic up and now you brought it up again. And we want to, we want to be advocates for for that cause. So where, where can we find you? Where can we, we can tag you uh, when we, when the show drops and everything and, and all, where can we find you? Yeah. So my personal Instagram right now, well, I have a locked in page. It's, it's still, I haven't really pushed out the content yet, um, but it's still going to be up and running. Um, it's are you, are you locked in just straight? That's the Instagram handle. Uh, but my personal handle is Raina underscore LA. Um, I, I share a lot of personal stories and also just, you know, my family. I, I really feel like it's important to be authentic and be your true self on social media. And so that's why you'll see on my social media pictures about or con content about locked in, but then there's content with my family. There's content with me being goofy. Like I am just my myself and I don't want to be anybody else. And I hope that, you know, the, if there are like younger girls out there who are looking at, you know, the influencers, which are, you know, that's not a bad thing, but just, you know, try, I hope that there would be some younger girls that if, if they look at my page, if they, they know me that, they have the the confidence to be themselves and 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 be comfortable with who they are. Um, that's all. That's that's honestly all I'm about is just being your authentic self and just 
you know, living life as you should and being okay with, you know, different, some things that you're kind of learning about yourself. So, yeah. Raina, thank you so much. We're going to have you back on. You, you text, uh, text B-Row when that, sh that, that content's going to go crazy on, on, uh, on the locked in page. And we're going to have you back on to promote and talk about a lot of things that you've touched on. I mean, we, we just got to know your story and now we want to, you know, help promote what you're doing. So thank you so much for your time. And, and, uh, and we're, we're going to be huge advocates of you and, and we've all been fans of you already even though you're kicking our butt on the court, but uh, <laughs> thank you so much uh, for taking the time. And, and, and we really, it was a real pleasure. So thank you so much. We're going to go to break. We'll be back with our last segment. Thanks everyone. Thank you for watching from the bench. Don't forget to subscribe right there below and catch us every week as we post new content. All right. Welcome back everybody to the bench. Uh, just uh, finished up with Raina Ale and she was uh, fantastic and a great guest. And really uh, working on some very uh, important things as far as, you know, student athletes and what do you do after the ball stops bouncing or, you know, what's next for your life and just um, really coming to grips with who you are and, and where that goes forward. So uh, we're going to chat a little bit more about some other topics that have come up. And obviously one of the big, obviously the big thing right now is the pandemic and how it's affected recruiting, especially in Division One basketball. And, um, you know, obviously with basketballs not being able to get out and recruit and see players live this year, a lot of it's been done on video. Um, but I also thought about it as possibly, you know, when you look at situations that are tough, sometimes it's good to have a situation that's um, an opportunity. So this tough opportunity with the pandemic, may and uh in my opinion already should have but at, at this point give the ncaa the wbca an opportunity to maybe revise the recruiting calendar that suits more people at more times meaning opening up completely and taking away some of these certification processes that are in there open which opens the door for people to schedule their lives a little bit better uh schedule around teams a little bit better as well as attend a lot of international events that maybe weren't uh, certified up until this point. So this has been the soapbox I've been on for a long time with uh, recruiting rules, opening them up and letting everybody choose when they want to go to go see kids as opposed to having to go during a certain amount of time um, where then that can open up opportunities for spending less money and also organizing your life a little bit with work-life balance when, you know, you don't have 40 days or 30 days in uh, July where you have to be have to be somewhere. So what do you guys think? Are, are we assuming that opening them up allows coaches the power to control their scheduling or are we trying to open it up for potential athletes to pick and choose, you know, the teams and whatnot? I think a little of both. So for example, let's, let's say, um, you know, now I think you want seven opportunities to recruit a kid. Yeah. Yep. So if you decided to say, Hey, let's, let's, let's push that to nine because we're going to open up the recruiting calendar. So you have 120 days or whatever it is, you push it to 140 days, but now you guys could decide, you know what, we're recruiting three kids that are going to be in this tournament in May. Let's go see those three kids in this tournament in May. Who knows? You might find some younger kids that you hadn't didn't know about, but you don't have to worry about, you know, only being in July and, and all the money and the travel and that and the chaos that goes within those two seven or eight day periods. Now you can spread it out throughout the year and, it, and you're less um, stuck into going to the bigger events and, 
and all that. Two things I think happen there. One, you start to get some smaller events that maybe are better, or at the same time, you can still choose to go to a bigger event if you wish, but you don't feel like you have to go. Um, and then the third thing is cost. Cost starts to come down. Because, you know, if there's more competition, all of a sudden you're not having to pay $1,000 for a packet. It also I help too, especially in the month of July with uh, scheduling. You know, we have our kids come here for summer school. Well, then those are nightmares of the schedules because we're like, okay, we're going to give them this day off because we need to go recruiting. <laughs> and then one coach hustle backs to get a workout in. I mean, it's, yeah. it's pretty crazy. And to your point, Tony, I would love to kind of have that planned out or knowing that, well, if I miss this tournament, we can catch him on this tournament. So more options, um, more freedom to be able to pick and choose. Um, and I'm speaking for me at Utah. We have the resources to be able to do that. Um, I'm wondering, Jesse, I don't know if you want to speak on, um, Brian, I don't know what your resources look like, uh, but how would that affect you guys? Well, I mean, for us, and I, you know, I'll speak on the opening up the calendar because in division two, we, we, we're out, we, we have, we don't have, we're not limited to those, those months. So like we can go in April, we can go to an event in April, we can go to an event in May when those club events are starting up and it's a game changer. It's absolutely the best thing ever. I mean, I, I can't imagine being forced to go back in where the only time we can go out is those, the certified event window. It's ridiculous. I mean, to your point, you're, 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 you're talking out of both sides of your mouth, so to speak. Like you mentioned, you have to go, maybe you're trying to run camp during that time because we're limited on camp when we can run camp. So, you know, for us as small school, like I, back in WCC days, camp was a massive deal. Like that's how we got people to campus. Yeah. So for you to try to be having camp recruiting at events, and then now with the summer access, you know, that's, it's, it's ridiculous. So I, I mean, Tony's point is, is for, for well taken. And I'm now coming from the perspective of, we don't, we barely go out in July, frankly, because we've already seen kids in April and May that we want to see. The only, we only place we go in July is kids we're trying to close. And so we might go to one or two things and that's it. We're not trying to, we've already done all that work. Like, like Tony just mentioned, we've already been, cause we saw this kid, during the high school season, or they came to our camp uh, the, early, the the last summer as a freshman or sophomore. So now we're going to go watch him in April and May, and it's it's us and all the rest of us that can be out at that time. It's easy, and now we see a bunch of new kids, and that now we invite them to camp. It 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 makes so much sense, and and you you are able to have the flexibility um, and personal health. I mean that I mean I know Gab, that's a big deal to you, and and a, a soapbox that you love to talk about. And you're right. I mean, it, it, that, I can't imagine what you just said. I almost shuddered when you said, oh, my God, like, I got to go here. I'm in Indiana. And then I got to fly down to Salt Lake to do it. And just because you have the means doesn't mean it makes it right. That's, that's bullshit. Yeah, but July, see, but July was set when we didn't have summers with our teams. And we, sure. haven't, okay. we haven't moved the month, right? right? And so now we are limiting times out versus the times we can have with our kids because now we're, we're allowed to bring in our kids in the summer, right? And now we have to choose. And, and I think that, so that's the first thing. But I do think there's going to be an interesting ripple with, with the CIF choosing to now become a spring sport starting in, starting in March. What happens in March? Usually what happens in March, April, May? All these smaller tournaments, you know, and regional tournaments and the teams and all that. Now that's not going to happen and then now you're going to have a very small window between regular season 
and July. And so I think it's going to force a lot of, it's going to force the decision. I think that's why I asked my question is like, what, like, who do we want the power to be in? <laughs> like us to choose and, and, and open up the, the conversation to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be in charge of my own 140 or the opportunity to choose parents, families to choose certain teams that have a different philosophy and, and perhaps exposure. I think it's a little of both, but, but I do right. believe that, you know, we, we try to, the rules that come into play are generally tried to regulate people's choices and which I think are just, it's unfair and unrealistic. Um, and, and, you know, the rule where now you have to take a week off dead here, a week off dead here, that goes away completely because now you have all kinds of weeks you can take off whenever you feel like it. Um, the other issue is Gabby, you're talking about going away and, and that kind of thing. It's like, Think about this. How many times as coaches, we've all been in charge of recruiting at the D1 level. Have you had to send your head coach to this tournament for one day to see, you know, three kids that are your – that doesn't exist anymore. You know, if you're a smaller like B, you were just talking about it. it can, obviously, this year is going to be different because of COVID and all that. But if we can use this as a, as a springboard to, to make a change, that when the schedules go back to normal in a year or two years, whatever it is, now, those smaller schools that can't afford to travel and do all these things, or it's, it's easier, what's happening now? You know, in April and May, all the club programs are getting together and they're doing a little mini tournament here that are local. You know, it's all the, you know, it's 10 programs from a 50-mile radius or 100-mile radius. Well, hell, go to that. You know, you get to see all your regional kids. And then you can do that and go out of town for regional stuff. But again, all these things start to become cheaper for the coaches to do as well as parents and everyone else because they don't have to travel i just i just want to add to that is that now people have talked about shrinking right shrinking the viewing periods right all that does is put more money in operators and others pockets because now the demand is so high in such a short amount of time you know packets go from costing a thousand to five thousand because they got to get their money you know and and they have all the power because it's scrunched to a smaller, smaller time. You created the monopoly for that, for those four days. Absolutely. And, and I think, I just hope that we're watching. I hope that we can learn from, from this whole year. And, and yes, it's going to go into next year just simply because of the virus and, and just the decisions we're making today, right. Is going to, is going to have its ramifications. So I hope we, I hope we're just learning from it where then we can have an honest conversation as coaches to determine, you know, I mean, we were forced to change a little bit of the calendar because of it. So why not now look at the, the whole thing, right? And, and, and allow, um, to your point, Tony, you know, coaches to decide and um, everyone underneath that in the recruiting process to, to make their own decisions. So. And, and one last thing to add to that. If, think about the 2021 kids this year that are going to have an, almost an impossible time being seen in person to be played. If the calendar was open, those kids maybe were able, before all the restrictions happened, maybe those kids were able to be seen in February, March, beginning, you know, whenever April, before things got, got shut down. Maybe those kids were able to be seen uh, a little bit playing because they had the opportunity and coaches were able to get out and see them, you know, early in the spring, you know, as soon as their high school season ends or whatnot. So it, it, it just is, more opportunity could be there. Yeah. And I also thought it's, it's those ones – it helps those kids like a Rayon, Ray, Raina, because 
that competitiveness might over the course of time, instead of compressed into one thing where you're distracted by it, maybe those kids, because you have a broader body of work versus just this little window in July for these few weeks to see a kid. And now you've seen them over their body of work has gotten bit. So now you help that kid that's, you know, might get fall through the cracks a little bit, you know, and through a longer piece. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. And here's what, here's something that, you know, obviously it's like, so if California, you know, they, they moved to the spring, which I don't think this is a long-term obviously. Right. But if, if it was a spring sport, what would that then do for us in season focused on our own teams, investing in the players that we actually have under our watch right. and not have to share the time with having to then bolt out of practice, miss practice and, and whatnot. So I think it's just, I mean, it, it's, are we yeah. watching and are, are, we, are we learning from it? It's an opportunity to explore. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. And we'd be remiss if we at least didn't, think about it or, or put some thought and some planning into what would it look like? Well, just, just like we, you know, we, we had Chez on the show. I talked to her the other day and, and just like recessions correct the market, this might be a way we can correct some of the things within our, our industry. Right. So hope so. Well, with that, uh, we will leave you for another week. Uh, we thank you for joining. We thank Raina for coming on and uh, don't forget to hit us up. Follow us and subscribe, and we will see you next week from the bench.